think time has moved on, and I want you to come with me, please, to First Epistle of John, chapter one, Hebrews, James, First, Second Peter, First John, uh, chapter one, and we'll just read a couple of verses together at this point. Just give you a moment to find that. By the way, uh, Sally is on her way to the Philippines right now. It's my wife. Uh, her and her son-in-law left yesterday, uh, going in different flights, going in different directions. He didn't want to travel with his mother-in-law, so he <laughs> took a bit of a detour. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Uh, he had to come here to bury his grandmother, and uh, that was a sudden thing, so uh, the arrangements could not be changed. Uh, ironically, they will both meet in the Philippines within an hour of each other, even though they're going different ways. So Sally is probably in Korea right now, in Seoul, Korea, waiting on her next part of her flight. She left at uh, 3 o'clock yesterday, and will not arrive into 5 o'clock tonight. That's a long, long journey, isn't it? How would you like to be doing that journey? You're absolutely frazzled at the end of it. I've done it many times, and uh, so that's where she is, so in case you wonder why she's not here today. All right, first epistle of John, and we'll just read the, the first uh, two or three verses. No, sorry, first uh, John uh, chapter 2, beg your pardon, not chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, beg your pardon. First John chapter 2, verse 1, my little children... These things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And if anyone sins, or you could put that, if anyone among you sin, he's addressing believers, and we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, last Sunday morning, we took as our theme, Jesus, our faithful high priest. And I want to follow on from that, if I may, today, with Jesus, our advocate in heaven. And this is another dimension, another function of the ministry of Jesus Christ today at the right hand of the Father. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he didn't mean that his ministry was over. What he came to do on earth was finished, to provide the sacrifice for our sins. However, his ministry is ongoing today, as strong as ever it was, only in a different dimension, different function. And so I want to deal with his advocacy today. And just like his great high priestly ministry, uh, so his ministry of being the advocate for us is all for our benefit. It's all done on our behalf. Now, advocacy is a legal term. It is found in a court of law. An advocate is someone who fights the cause of another in the courts of justice. Our British courts our judiciary system, if I could put it that way, is based on the adversarial system. And that simply means to say this, that there is a judge, there's a jury, there's a prosecutor and a defender. And the prosecutor is the one who prosecutes 
the defendant. And the defender is the one who defends the defendant. And so the prosecutor and the defender, they make their case for and against the defendant. And then the judge and the jury listening, then at the end of the case, then they have to uh, go over what they have heard of the case presented to them, and they make their ruling. They come to a decision. They get a result based on what they have heard and what they believe is the truth in all of that. And so that is the adversarial system. And so God is the judge. Of course, Satan is the prosecutor. And Jesus Christ, our advocate, he is our defender. And it's you and I who are in the dock. Now, heaven's court, as it were, is slightly different in that there is no jury. But there certainly is a prosecutor and there certainly is a defender. Now, courts are quite intimidating places to be in. And in my capacity in over 30 years as a pastor, believe me, I have been to court uh, several times on behalf of others and just standing alongside others in magistrates, courts, everything from traffic offenses to the high court in uh, a murder defense. Uh, and, and it's quite intimidating. The, the, the gowns that are worn by the officials and the silks and the wigs, uh, even the buildings are generally imposing. And as you go in, there's the layout of the court where there's a dock and they're in full view and the judge is sitting behind his desk and the barristers are there and the lawyers are there, the solicitors. And so it's quite intimidating. The very jargon that they use is all designed to intimidate. And so that is our system. And for those who are waiting for a verdict to return depending uh, upon what has been the, the case, what they're up for, uh, then that can be a quite a, a gut-wrenching moment uh, where the adrenaline is pumping and, uh, and the hands and the palms are sweating and the pulse is rating, uh, uh, beating. And so that is our system. I, I remember one time uh, coming home from church. It was a Sunday afternoon and uh, the previous church in Belfast that my wife and I belonged to. It was about one o'clock beautiful summer's day, and we were driving from Belfast along the what was called the Larne Line. We lived in Ballyclare, which is in East Andrew. And so it's a Jill Carriage way. And just as we were driving, I just happened to notice out of the side of my eye uh, someone lying in the grass verge. And my immediate reaction was uh, that it was a hit-and-run accident. So uh, we quickly stopped up the road, and we came back, and this was pre-mobile phone days, by the way, and uh, my wife's brother-in-law and I, we went over and uh, we looked and the guy was lying uh, face down. And we turned him over. We spoke first of all, there's no response, and we turned over. And as we turned over, we quickly realized that he had been shot through the head and he was dead. And his body was still reasonably warm, so we, we knew it hadn't happened uh, a long time. And we waved down a few cars and told him to go and get the police or get a phone call somehow. And Within half an hour, the police were there and the ambulance was there and, and statements were taken. And it was a young man who had been uh, hitchhiking home from a date in Belfast. And by the way, it was two of his neighbors uh, knew this was his pattern. They followed him and they, they shot him dead. Uh, this was in the early 80s. And uh, so the reason why I'm telling you this is seven years later, 
uh, I was going into church one day and one Sunday morning and, and the detective was waiting on me, uh, who, by the way, is a Baptist pastor today, that detective, and I knew him personally. And he says, David, remember seven years ago you found the, the body of that young man? I says, yeah. He says, well, you may have to come and testify. Uh, I says, well, what do you want me to say? Well, how you found the body, because we're not sure what he was shot in the car, dumped or taken out and shot, so we need to find this out. I said, certainly, I'll, I'll do that. I remember going to the court that day, and it was very, very intimidating. And, and I mean, the court was packed, and the families were there of, of, the, of, of the, the victim. Uh, and the one thing I did notice uh, about the, the guy that was caught, there was not one single person there, no family member, no friend, no mate, nobody. He was totally and utterly on his own. And not that I felt sorry for him at all, because of the horrible thing he had done, but I thought to myself, boy, you're standing there and you're completely on your own. And, uh, and of course, he was, he was sent away for many years. And within a few months, uh, his mate who did the dirty deed was caught as well. He probably squealed when he got in prison. But I told you all that to say this, that that, that adversarial system with the prosecutor and the, and the defender and, and the, the judge and the court and the place was there and the tension was rising and people were shouting and there were people crying. It was just, it was just awful. Now, when it comes to heaven's court, you and I are not there. In fact, most times we are not even aware that there's a case presented against us. That Satan is the prosecutor and he's the one who comes to condemn He's the one that comes to confuse and to accuse. Most of the times we're not even aware that we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous, our defender. Of course, at other times we are only too aware. Particularly whenever we realize that we are in the dock, that our accuser, our adversary, is pointing his condemning finger at us and highlighting our very evident failures and frailties and sins. It is not that the enemy has to come and blame us in wrongly, though that we're innocent, because many times we're far from innocent, and we are guilty as accused. And the enemy can come and point his finger and say, they are guilty, they did do this, this is what they have done. And in those times, it's especially good to realize in those moments that we do have a defender in heaven, that we do have an advocate, that we have someone who will come and defend our cause even if we are in the wrong. But if you've ever stood in court, even when you're in the wrong, somehow you felt a lot better if you had a good defense. That Christ is not wanting to get us off in some flimsy technicality. He has another way of doing it, a far better way. Now you see Jesus as our faithful high priest. He's touched, as we said last week, with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses. He's the one that sits at the right hand of the Father praying for us continually on our behalf. And that gives us strength so that we do not sin. I write unto you that you sin not. 
And so, as believers, our propensity is not to sin. And you need to know that Christ is our great high priest, is at the right hand of the Father, praying that we do not sin. Praying for strength for us when we face our temptations and our tests and our trials. Praying that we're able to overcome that and come through that and handle that well in victory. But what if we do sin? What if after all of that, in spite of Christ's wonderful prayers for us, because we have got a a will, a freedom to do this, what if we do sin? What if we do fail? What then? Could not the enemy of her souls point his finger and say, Aha, look. Of course he can. And loves to do that. But this is where we have an advocate in heaven. Away in the Old Testament, and you don't need to turn to this, but in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, there's a, a lovely picture of this being played out in the Old Testament. And that is that the children of Israel had come back from Babylon from captivity and that their high priest, their first high priest when they come back was Joshua, not the Joshua who led them into the promised land, the great commander that was under Moses. Joshua was a fairly common name. And this Joshua the high priest was standing before the altar of God making intercession for the nation. Remember what we told you about the high priest on the day of atonement, by the way? How that that one day of the year when he had to go in with the sacrifice for the whole nation, but he had to make a sacrifice for his own sins first. Well, here is this priest standing before the altar but where he see the state he's in. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. So it's not a pretty sight, is it? He's standing there as guilty as the next man. As guilty as the whole nation. But then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away these filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. So there is a little type, as it were, of what happens. Where we stand before God, and we have sinned, and our garments are stained. And the enemy of our soul, the adversary, the accuser can point rightfully at us and say, look, look at his garment, look at her garments. So what's Christ going to do? (laughs) He's going to defend our cause. Aren't you glad for that? He's going to defend our cause. Psalm 109.31 says, For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor and save him from those who condemn him. Satan wants to condemn us. But we've got one who'll stand at the right hand of the poor, who's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, 
who will save us from those who condemn him. First John 2 and 2, he himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now he's the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, but he's only your advocate. He's only the believer's advocate. Remember John is writing to believers here. If any man sin, if anyone among you sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But then is he not the advocate for the sinner? No, he's the mediator for the sinner. That's another one of his functions right now at the right hand of the Father. The mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Now listen, when I was a sinner in this world, I needed a mediator. I needed someone who could understand the depths of my sin and the heights of the holiness of God. I needed someone who could lay a hand upon me and lay a hand upon God and bring us together and reconcile me back to God. And only Jesus Christ could do that. Only he could understand the holiness of God, the purity of a holy God. And only he could understand the depths of my sin because on the cross he took my sin and my shame. He took the full brunt of that. And being tempted in all points as we were, yet he was without sin. And yet the sins of my sins and your sins was put upon him on that cross. However, even though I am saved, and I'm a saved sinner, and even though I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, and even though I have enjoyed His mediatorial ministry that has reconciled me back to God, yet, and even though my propensity is not to sin, yet I do sin, and I do fail, and I do falter. And every single one of you who owns Jesus as Lord are in the exact same position as I am today. And that is why we need an advocate with the Father because every time we sin, there is an accuser. Revelation 12 and 10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Satan means adversary. Devil means accuser. So he's both an adversary and an accuser. And whenever you and I sin, he is there to condemn He's there to condemn. It's funny, he never condemned me for my sins before I was saved. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> In fact, the more I sinned, the more I enjoyed it. But as soon as you get saved, the first time you sin, boy, he's there to condemn, isn't he? He's there to point the finger. Do you notice that in the workplace? Before you get saved, nobody cared a rap what you did. You got out and started and get full drunk and come in with a headache the next day, and they thought, well, that's wonderful. Try doing that if you say you're a Christian. See what happens then. Just make one slip, one mistake, say one thing wrong, and they're on you like a ton of bricks, aren't they? That's just like the devil, isn't it? I'm glad that Christ doesn't condemn at the right hand of the Father. Now, he sends his Holy Spirit to convict. That's a different thing. We need convicted of sin. We need reminded if we do sin. But he doesn't condemn, but he convicts. 
And conviction should draw us to Christ. Condemnation puts us from Christ. The conviction draws us that we may receive his forgiveness. So what about our sins now? Now that we're saved. Are they any less sin? Are they any less displeasing to God? I don't think so. No, I don't believe so. In 1 John 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that's why he goes on to say, My little children, I write unto you that you do not sin, but if anyone sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. confessing our sins. Now, you need to understand something about this that's important. Confessing our sins is simply more than just owning up to our sins. We ought to own up to them, but it's more than just owning up to them. It's owning them. It's saying, this is my sin. This is my failure. I'm to blame. It's, it's agreeing with what God says about it. It's actually seeing it as God sees it. And that's the trouble with sin. Sin is so subtle. And in our humanity, because we were born in sin and iniquity, that we excuse it easily. You know why? Because we don't see it as God sees it. If we saw our sins as God sees it, we would be so thoroughly ashamed and appalled and aghast at it. But we're not, generally speaking, because we don't see it as God sees it. And we excuse it. We say, well, it's just me. And Lord, you know I've just got a short fuse. And Lord, you know I like to gossip. And Lord, you know I just like to, you know. And So we kind of dismiss it, and, but God doesn't. So confessing here is not just, oh yeah, I did that. It's more than that. It's coming before God and saying, God, this, this, this is my failure. This is, this is my fault. God, this is what I do. And God, I know that you're displeased with it and I know that it's not right and, and, and I just, I own that. Do you know that pleases God that if we have got the courage to come before him and saying, God, that, that pleases God. What he hates is if we hide from it and we don't confess it. And actually we justify it. That's even worse. And we've all justified it, haven't we? Given us a good reason for it. But not, God doesn't see it that way. And yet even though we confess our sin and we own our sin, we say, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Even though we do all of that, the accuser of their brethren still comes, or adversary, and still points his finger. Still tries to make you feel that 
that God hasn't forgiven you. You're such a failure, such a woeful, miserable Christian. You're only an excuse for a Christian. But we need to learn and understand Romans chapter 8. In verse 31, he says, of chapter 8, Paul says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The devil, that's who. The accuser of the brethren. Who shall bring a charge against God's light? Our adversary. Our arch enemy, the evil one. Who is he who condemns? The devil. Now here's what he tries to do. He tries to do this all the time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The enemy will try to. He will try his best to separate you from the love of Christ. He's the one who tries to do this through, Paul mentions, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. He'll try to find every way. You remember last week when we talked about Christ, our great high priest? Remember how we talked about in the book of Hebrews? How the Hebrew Christians were in danger of going back because of the pressure they were coming under as being Jewish Christians in their generation and how they were being persecuted, how they were being put out of jobs. Some had even stopped coming to church altogether. Some were going back to the old ways and to the old Judaism that they came out of under to get on, out from underneath the pressure of life that was causing them trying to separate them from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And this is what he tries to do with us. He tries to cause all kinds of stuff to happen to your life, to knock the stuffing out of you, to make you believe somehow that God doesn't care. If God really cared, why am I going through this? If God really cared, why am I really sick? If God really cared, why is my business failing? If God really cared, why am I out of a job? And he'll pump that to you all day long to try to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. But Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death 
their life. <laughs> That's a mighty big subject there, isn't it? Death and life. You can't get anything more important than death and life. Sure you can't. <laughs> you remember what the book of Revelation and what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ when it talks about Him regarding death and life? In verse, let me find it here. This is John having this revelation of Christ in verse 17. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Not even death can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He says, I have the keys of death and hell itself. Neither death nor life. John writes in his gospel, he says, we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him was life. And his life was the light of man. The devil can't separate us either in death or in life because he is the life, isn't he? Verse 38 says, Neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nothing in the supernatural realm, nothing in that incomprehensible realm that we cannot even hardly begin to understand, but our eyes has never seen, but real and there, nonetheless. None of that can separate us from the love of God. It tells in the book of Colossians that Christ on the cross, it talks about those principalities and powers, that He defeated them. In fact, it says He made an open show of them. So even though they may come against us to separate us from Christ, they can't do it. Nor things present, nor things to come. Aren't you glad that Christ has already dealt with your past? He's already planned a great future for you. And He's already with you in your present. Now, there are things present, there are things to come, nor height, nor depth. He's on the very mountaintop with us, but thank God... He's in the very valleys with us too. It's easy to shout and praise God on the mountaintop, isn't it? We can all do that. Ah, different thing when you're in the valley, isn't it? When you're in the valley and the whisper, devil whispers in your ears that God has left you, he doesn't care. He's not interested. You have no friends. You're going to fail. You'll never get out of this valley you're in. You'll never get to see any light at the end of this tunnel. But that's when you've got to realize that you've got an advocate at the right hand of the Father to come against that accuser of the brethren, come against your adversary. Psalm 139, the psalmist is writing here, in verse 7 he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Glory to God. The highest heights and the deepest depths, Christ is with us. So he says, nor any other created thing. Satan is a created thing. Demons, angels are created things. But Christ is begotten, not created. Begotten, not created. The only begotten of the Father, John said, full of grace and truth. It's important, that word, the only begotten of the Father. Not a creation. False religions would try to make out that Jesus the man was a creation. No, no, no. No. Begotten, not created. That's why he was likened unto Melchizedek last week. Without beginning of days, without end of days. A type of Christ who was to come. <laughs> you know, when Christ came to this earth, we can... We can pinpoint when he came. We can pinpoint where he came. We can pinpoint the time he came. We know when he died. We know how he died. But you know, he was in eternity before he came into time. And when he left time, he's in eternity. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Aren't you glad for an advocate? Aren't you glad in closing? Aren't you glad that Jesus not only died for us, but he lives for us? He lives for us right now. At the right hand of the Father, interceding, defending every moment of every day, even when you're not aware of it. Even that old enemy comes when you're not aware and tries to bring a case against you. It's the Lord who justifies. And if you have confessed your sin before Him and have been cleansed from your sin, even when He does come, the Father will say, I have no recollection of that. It's wiped out. I will remember your sins no more against you forever. doesn't forget about them. If you forget about them, you can remember them again. He says, I remember them no more against you forever. They're gone forever. So when the enemy comes and says, do you know? He'll say, no, I didn't know. No, no, I have no recollection of that. No, no record of that. See, look, it's gone. <laughs> Isn't that great? You've got an advocate who can do that for you. When people want to remind you of your sin that Christ has already dealt with, you could say, well, there's no record of it in heaven. It's gone. It's cleansed. It's wiped clean. Glory to God. Amen. Lord, we thank you that truly you are our minister in heaven. That you are our great advocate. You are our defender today. And so even though there is a tremendous adversary 
even though there is a great accuser, but thank God you are our wonderful advocate. And we bless you for that. We thank you for your daily ministry to us so that we can have victory. And even when we feel and do our worst, if we confess our sin, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. And thank you, Lord, that our names are found in the great book of life today. Those who own Christ as Savior, we bless you. No merit of our own, undeserving as we were. Nothing to brag about within ourselves, but only through the work of Christ on the cross. We give you thanks and we honor you and we give you glory. In Christ's name, amen.